What's up, everybody? Welcome to FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan, and joining me today is... Stephen Asarch. And this proud, is the... beautiful <laughs> human being. And this is the uh, Joy-Con Boys edition of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Stephen, so, you know, tomorrow's Hashtag super... Hashtag Joy-Con Boys forever. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, before we get into, you know, the news and kind of the articles that we're working on... Um, Super Tuesdays tomorrow. Are you excited? Are you excited to not vote tomorrow? I am not allowed to talk about politics, for I am an unbiased reporter. Even though I've never covered politics a day in my life, I am not allowed to talk to it according to my bosses. No, I think that's fair. I, I'm still very interested in seeing how it turns out, considering that, like, um, you know, Pete Buttigieg and Klobuchar have all dropped out, and they're all just like backing uh, Joe Biden. So it seems like the moderates are coalescing behind one candidate, a candidate that hasn't had the the most magnanimous debate performances. But you know, I think it, it's pretty much do or die time for the the kind of super left wing of the party. Uh, so I don't know. That's just something I'm like super interested in. I've been following it a lot. Uh, but you know what else I've been following a lot is is this like coronavirus or coronavirus or COVID nineteen, and you know how here in New York we've already had our first case. Uh, did you go into work today? Uh, I did not. Uh, I also very rarely go into work. Uh, uh, I'll be going in tomorrow because uh, I have a meeting. But I don't. I'm not really like terrified about the coronavirus. Like, yeah, compared it, to a lot of other people, it, I I am like I am noting my, noticing myself like I'm washing my hands more. I'm like being a bit more particular. I'm trying to train my my hands not to like touch my face. I, I'm really I am. Surprised I at did how much notice. I, I am. Face washing my hands more yeah. i have noticed that maybe that's just because i'm a disgusting human being and should probably wash my hands more anyways but i think a lot of it is just uh racism stoked uh anger but there's you know there's there's still reasons to cause alarm you know i watch the walking dead Sure. <laughs> well, you know, I was on the subway today, and I think, like, uh, like just like an hour ago, and there was a girl coughing on the subway, and I'm pretty sure, you know, she kind of just drank her water weirdly and kind of went down, like, the wrong whatever, and you know how, you know when that happens? So, but even then, like, everyone on the train was, like, slightly uncomfortable. They're like, uh-oh. Um, I, everyone's just, like, a tiny bit on edge, and it's, it, it's weird to see because, like, usually uh, a large chunk of the population isn't informed on, like, one singular topic all at the same time. But for whatever reason, like, everyone is kind of on alert with the coronavirus. Well, I think it's the internet in general. Like, we haven't really had a pandemic on the same level um, since the dawn of the internet age. Like, you know, the last SARS outbreak was uh, quite a few years back before everyone literally... Yeah, that that was before everyone lived on Twitter and lived on their social media accounts because we live in this age of misinformation where the you know the 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 hatred fires and flames and fumes get you know spewed all over the place people tend to like blow things a bit out of proportion um i think there's you know reason to be cause and alarm but you know is it the you know everyone's going to die immediately and we're all going to live in bunkers with the rat people i'm not there yet no, I mean, and like honestly, uh, if you're young, for whatever reason, like children have been very resilient to the virus. Um, people under the age of thirty who don't smoke have been very resilient. It's just been kind of like a really bad cold uh, or a really bad flu. It's really like if you smoke, if you're over a certain age, you know that's when it becomes a problem. But you know, already like 
Uh, I don't know. It's just multiple people have died in the United States already. Uh, it's like an elderly home in like Washington just got like really hit hard by it, and it's just like freaking officials out. And it doesn't help that like the like the the, the press conference that the Trump that Trump had with like all these like professionals from the CDC saying like, okay, everyone, you should not be alarmed, but you should also be prepared. And you know they're trying to like have that balance. And then Trump comes out, like, literally right next to them and says, like, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm definitely paraphrasing here. But it's just kind of this weird inconsistency that's happening between, like, the, the political end of it and then, like, the actual like, science end of it, which I'm just like, oh, man, this is probably not the best time to have these, like, little squabbles or whatever. Um, Don't worry. Mike Pence is on it. He is on it. Mr. Super, super Pence boy. Yeah, he's so, gonna you know. stop the virus. He's gonna <laughs> kick it in his face. Yeah, you know he might he'll he'll be able to stop you know coronavirus, but we might all end up getting AIDS um, if if you followed his last handling of the of like the AIDS crisis and uh, what where is he from? He's from Indiana, right? I don't know, man. That's too deep of a cut for my okay. uh, internet love and ass. Okay, that's fair. But you know, let's let's actually just jump into uh, some of the stories that happened this past week. Uh, last night. VG Bootcamp, which is a Smash production company in association with Twitch and Super Smash Con, announced the Smash World Tour. This is a pro tour circuit for the Super Smash Brothers scene for both Melee and Smash Ultimate, and it'll come together for a final tournament in December with $250,000 up for grabs. I guess one twenty-five dollars for each game? Or maybe it's like one hundred for okay. Melee, one fifty for for ultimate uh either well, I, way I, is it is it 250k like goes to the winner or 250k prize pool prize pool prize pool yeah so it's like the first okay, place winner so gets like 40 grand or something yeah exactly but i think that's actually really good i really like vg Bootcamp. whenever yeah, they great. stream a big tournament on twitch i i watch the whole thing i you know i i don't really understand smash i don't really get the micro or macro necessarily understandings but like it's a ballet i don't know what's happening but i love watching it happen and if anyone could, like, run a proper Smash circuit, do they have Nintendo support? No. No. On the bottom of the website, it uh, says that this is not associated with Nintendo. I don't know where they got their money from. I mean, $250,000 is, like, not... That's not a lot. Uh, they, it's not they, a ton they, of money, could... but it is a lot of money at the same time. All uh, they need to do is find, like, three or four sponsors willing yeah. to pay that much, plus the amount of money you'll raise in, like, Twitch revenue. Like, you're good. Like, that'll, that'll make its money back. If, if they can keep it hype... And, like, try to invite people like, you know, MK Leo and, like, those those guys that, like, really pull in, you know, audience members. I mean, they'll call The problem I see with VG Bootcamp is whenever I watch them, they tend to, like, falter around 20,000 views. Like, you know, bigger matches can tend to, you know, go as high as 80. But because the, the, the tournament itself is very rarely advertised, like, I don't really know when Smash tournaments are happening. I sort of just have to, like, guess and hope that I'm on Twitch at the right time, and I'm like, oh, cool, I can turn on this, and I hope League of Legends isn't on, or any other eSport I have to watch, or want to watch. Yeah. Um, I think, so I think on the money side, I, I, I still have to do some reporting, I still have to send some emails, but uh, they are advertising that it was in association with Twitch, so obviously Nintendo is not giving any money towards this, but uh, Twitch, I mean, you know, Twitch paid what, like $90 million for two years of the Overwatch League? What was, like, the max concurrence for the Overwatch League? What was it, like, 400000 at one point, I think? 
Um, yeah, according to their like Nielsen ratings thing. Yeah. It was like like 1.6 million watched the whole thing. And I'm like, all right, guys, chill the fuck out. <laughs> well, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, like Smash, like Melee at Evo 2018 broke 200K, right? Which is really solid. That was a hype match, though. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, and it was also the last time Melee was going to be at Evo. Um, so I, I do feel that if there's enough hype leading into circuit, into like the, the circuit grand finals, then it is totally possible for it to break 100K, possibly even 200K. And if Twitch, let's say Twitch funds like all of that 250K, I think it's money Twitch well spent. Twitch is not going to fund under that 250K. I'm telling you, it's from sponsors. Mm. Do, do you think they funded nothing? I don't think they funded nothing. Like, I don't know Twitch's, like, relationship with it. Like, is it just a sponsor? Are they doing it at the Twitch Rival Studios? Like, are right. they doing it as Twitch as a partner? You know, I, that's there's there's a lot of intricacies to, to figure out, you know, Twitch's actual deep involvement. Yeah, and I think that VG Bootcamp, like, right now, if you look on their, the Smash World Tour website, there, there doesn't, it doesn't show to be a lot of sponsors at the moment, but I feel that, as, you know, as it continues to get momentum and... Um, if, if it's pointed to being a really large event at the end of the year, it's possible that other, you know, like maybe G Fuel or Monster Energy, whatever, could jump on board, you know, throw kick in some money here or there. Because I do know that VG Bootcamp at one point was struggling to stay afloat. Um, I, I, I remember Gimmer had put out a video uh, talking about kind of the difficulties of uh, being a smash tournament organization organizer slash, like, you know, production company at the time. I, I, I assume that since then they've kind of got everything everything's looking better now which is why they could pull this off but even then i'm still curious as to where the money is coming from uh, the reaction within the smash community has been very positive i think people have been really demanding this uh, there have been mo- attempts at creating a circuit in the past and for whatever reason nintendo has been the one that has gotten the way gotten in the way and prevented a circuit from happening i'm not entirely sure why because these tournaments already exist um and these tournaments exist without most of the time getting nintendo's like kind of blessing or rights to licensing i don't think nintendo gets esports oh no i just yes. don't <laughs> think they understand how it works and they'd rather not try i like, think there are it's th- super weird there are people within nintendo of america that get how it works 100 percent. i know who those people are the problem is that they're also dealing with a different culture at nintendo of japan that doesn't want to to create uh, have its products become these like hyper competitive things that alienate a casual audience. Granted, I think like the super casual audience isn't following this scene that much anyway. It's it's just it's a little it's it's there's some weird inconsistencies with like how Nintendo of Japan views competitive gaming. They kind of just view it as like a fun little. I can picnic just party. picture Shigeru Miyamoto sitting in his giant golden Mario mushroom stroking a genetically engineered toad that he paid for with all of his money that we don't know exists and him just like shaking his head silently as someone says why don't we try to make smash an esport and he just like maybe gives like a thumbs down and they get like sent into a giant a giant fire pit where like a bowser mech eats them i picture shigeru miyamoto like dr eggman (laughs) you know he has this, like, massive lair because he's just this, like, eccentric, quirky guy. Or I guess closer to... You ever watch Spy Kids 3D? Uh, I, uh, it's probably been, like, 20 years. But you know the villain? There's, like, the, the villain. I think it's, like, Sylvester Stallone. I do not remember. And he's, like, this He's like this tech guy. Anyway, it's like that. 
either way, let's uh, let's see how let's see how it turns out. The of course everyone like the first event is CEO Dreamland in Orlando, like in two weeks, like later this month. Uh, the thing that everyone's kind of wondering about is, w- will the coronavirus make make it difficult for for people to actually attend these events? Will these events have to be canceled? Which would suck for its inaugural year to just have to deal with this like global pandemic. So I don't know. I think everyone's just kind of like, mm, we'll see, kind of a mentality because there was a tournament in Japan. I mean, that's last week. every esport right now. Yeah, like, that's true. The Overwatch yeah. League got bumbled. Bumbled, yeah. absolutely. Blizzard Activision is like scrambling at this point. Yeah, I'm I mean, still supposed to have a print feature come out about that, but well, yeah. they've already moved their Chinese and Korean tournaments like to America, right? And they've already like flown, flown all their pay- players out of the countries. They're not all in America. Mm. Some of them are in Korea. No, but I heard that they canceled those, and they're just moving all. The, the yeah, they they, they 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 canceled them. Yeah. Well, they suspended them. They'll do them later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they're claiming. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's 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 definitely a weird situation. And uh, I mean, what like IEM Karavitse last weekend, I heard was just like empty, right? Like, I mean, obviously they it's like they had the event. So they did they they uh the the group stages were played without an audience, mm-hmm. but the finals were played with an audience. Interesting. And interesting. the finals peaked at like I, I I think when I checked it was like around two hundred k. Interesting. Uh, because Counter Strike is is hype, uh, no matter what you do about it. No, it is hype. Uh, it's so hype. Yeah. So I mean, I'm still. I mean, I'll I'll reach out to some like Counter Strike sources, see kind of what I mean, just kind of have you know, just chat with them, see what they feel like will happen throughout the throughout the rest of the year. I'm sure they're they're scrambling on their end too. Um, but speaking of Counter Strike. Let's uh, kind of pivot here to Riot Games' newest shooter. Valorant! Yes. What do you think of the name? I like it because it's I, I, Valorant is a place in, in League of Legends. Oh. And I, I really want the game to be in League lore. Like, I know it's not, but, like, if it's, like, a thousand years in the future and everyone's got, like, psychic stuff. Because you can see one of the characters has, like, Ionian blades, which, like like Irelia uses that like hover around her and she can control them using her like mystic powers or some dumb shit and i i like it uh i may get to play the game in the next couple of weeks nice uh i can't talk about it oh but i'm hoping um it's uh i'm excited i think this is a game i'm really going to really going to focus a lot of my coverage on because right. I think it's the the first game in a while that really has a chance to one up Fortnite. It's mm. a free to play hero shooter that uses Counter Strike logic. Right. Like That's it, but do you think that paper, do you think that will pull in that Fortnite audience in the same way? Because I feel that no, it's not a Fortnite audience. It's going to be a League of Legends audience, hmm, and the League of Legends audience cares a lot about competitive gameplay they care a lot about being able to show off in front of their friends like fortnite's uh if not a more casual experience at least a more colorful experience do you when it comes to league uh people tend to of course be younger but they also tend to be a lot more hardcore Mm. like they're still hardcore fortnite players don't get me wrong i love the you know whatever they're called i can't remember their funny names right now but um they always 
you know, try... When it comes to Valorant, the free-to-play aspect cannot be understated. Because Riot has so much capital and so much experience creating proper free-to-play experiences, like, I, I like um, Legends of Runeterra. Uh, I am not playing it as much right now because I am trying... I don't know. I, I tend to pivot between games pretty frequently. But I, I like it. It's a fun game, and it's balanced. It had a really good patch recently, so it's got potential. But Valorant is, if Riot doesn't bungle it, and actually does the things they're going to say they do, like have staple servers and have, you know, enough patches and see it how it works. Like, I'm going to suck at it. I know I'm going to be bad at Valorant. I'm bad at Overwatch. I'm bad at League of Legends, but that doesn't stop me from playing. I, I if, think that what Riot Games is doing here is that they're making an interesting play because they, like, they own the MOBA category, right? Uh, and then they're releasing this game that's a mesh between like Counter-Strike and Overwatch, in a sense. Uh, I don't think that, even if Valorant is an amazing game, I don't think it'll take away that from that Counter-Strike audience because that audience is super hardcore. But I do. It feel, doesn't have to. It's free to play. Yeah, 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 I get it. But I feel that you know, the Overwatch audience might be up for the taking here, right? Unless, uh, I think everyone will give it a shot because it is free to play. Right. Sure. Yeah. Of course they'll have that honeymoon period. I, I, I'm getting that. No, I'm telling you the free to play aspect and riot. If it, if it, if if they bungle it at the start, they will continue working on it and make sure. Cause at one point it will blow up. Apex is still huge. Right. I mean, is there like, is there room for Valorant and Overwatch? Yes, Overwatch is dead. Nobody plays it uh, except for like three people. I played some that I know. Of course, I, I booted it up yesterday, and I'm like, "Oh, this is Overwatch." And then I turned it down, and then I closed it and uh, opened Hearthstone. <laughs> and then, well, like, you know, they're also they're also working on this fighting game as well, which you know I'm curious about. And I'm not I'm not holding until we hear about that again because we have to get through Valorant first. Yeah, yeah. Once we get through Valorant. Then we can care about the fighting game because if the fighting game is also free to play, holy shit, we've never had uh, like a, f- a free to play fighting game that's really like broken the mold. No, no, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, there have been some free to play fighters they just haven't like gotten the traction. Of course, like Riot Games has the pull and the marketing budget to really attract a lot of players, and I think people on Twitch or Mixer or whatever will just be hyped to play the next Riot game. But I mean, again, like in your opinion, what is the play by Riot Games to create? You know, a new hero shooter, a new fighting game. Like, why Why are they jumping into these areas and not just sticking to... Oh, because they want to dominate the market. All right. They want to be the biggest game company around. Like, they have a formula that works. Create a quality product and heavily monetize it with cosmetics. It works. It's proven to work. Mm. Like, the, the reasoning... Uh, the rumors, at least, as to why we haven't gotten the S and Right games until 2019 is that there were games that were worked on internally, and then the higher-ups, you know, like Mark and, and Rise, uh, turned it down because they didn't think it was up to the standards. Mm. So that's, that's a rumor. I'm not saying I know that for sure. But um, now that they are like you know made the made the decision, they've been working on this behind the scenes because they must have been working on Valorant for like years. Like oh, yeah. this isn't a game that popped up out of nowhere. Like it's 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 beta is in like summer twenty twenty. Yeah. 
like to make a fully competent hero shooter infrastructure from the you know scratch takes a lot of time well, but, I, you I know mean, I based think on the trailer like what are your initial impressions it's counter-strike but with overwatch i keep saying that like, is it but is it visually uh, interesting to you yeah it's fine it reminds me of paladins that like muddied yeah, yeah. uh you know the, the, like fantasy with real guns like i always thought that aesthetic was weird personally yes like i wouldn't i wouldn't stick with that if that was my choice but you know i think i think it'll work i think the the dweebs online are gonna love it but yeah. you know we'll we'll see yeah so yeah um let me know let me know if you get early access to that because i want in on it too somehow just well we'll talk okay cool 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 uh now let's jump on i don't think there's a really good way to transition to this but i mean what's What's the big story? You're the you're worst with transitions. I just want to point that out for a second. Because you're like, speaking of things, did you know esports happen? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. not not everything. You gotta just let it flow, bro. Just, yeah. you know, aim it and let it fire. All right. All right. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to this. I, I've been interested in this story that you're working on, which you're hoping to publish soon. So, why don't you just take it from here? Talk to me about it. Oh. Uh, Etika. So this was so this is like this who, is the thing well, I want to get into. Yeah, to give a preface for people who don't yeah, know exactly. Everybody knows Etika, but Etika was a streamer, is a streamer, uh, who passed away uh, eight months ago. Um, and I am working on a story interviewing the people in his life who knew him and what he meant to them. Mm-hmm. Um, what. I started out this story doing and why it really popped into my head. Uh, well, first it was the Pokestop thing. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a good time. But also I've been dealing with this issue where I don't know uh, if my reporting, like, because cause I reported on the Etika thing fairly early. Mm-hmm. I was writing about his, you know, episodes months before anybody else was. And covering the world of Etika, uh, you know, quite quite seriously, because I noticed a lot of Twitter conversation. But like, how much of your own reporting can you like, uh, you know? I, I feel I don't feel like I contributed to his, you know, what eventually happened to him in any way. But like, did it help? Did me reporting on that time he got carted away by the police? That time, you know, he had his meltdown like he uh, had those suicidal tweets like does me reporting on that help in any way or does it just hurt and only continue to you know give people the publicity that um is is potentially bad Hmm. that's that's the it's it's a complicated dilemma it's not it's 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 why I approached the story, and it's it's why I wanted to talk to these people, and wanted to see how they coped, because like, I never met uh, Desmond, uh, I never uh, even interviewed him, I never like talked to people around him, until he started having the issues, and then you know I talked to his ex girlfriend, and you know she helped me understand what's happening. But I, like, I never knew him. But when he passed, I get a, a, 
I get a text message from a reporter I was seeing at the time. And she's like, hey, are you all right? And, like, originally I was like, what? Why Why wouldn't I be all right? Like, I, I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. But... You know, as, as time went on and, you know, the news started to, to sit in, I, I, I realized that, in a way, I did know him. Not personally, of course. Like, I never met the man. I know nothing about him. But I had written about him so much and done so much research on his life and watched so many of his live streams that, like, I considered myself, like, a fan. Like, I, I try not to have parasocial relationships uh, solely because I interview these people, I know that they're just people. You know, I can I could be a fan of somebody without being obsessive about them and caring about their like actual lives. But I noticed when it when it came to the Etika stuff, I I was really like thinking about it and and really worried about it. So I tried to to write the story to realize, you know, what what other people went through, how other people coped, how we all cope when. The, the loss of someone uh, important in their lives disappears. It's 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 been heavy work, uh, which is why I'm glad that the story's almost done. Uh, tomorrow I'm I'm gonna make a trip out to the Etika Memorial, on Bushwick, mm-hmm. uh, and then mainly because my uh, my barber's in Bushwick and I can just take a 15 minute Uber over, but. Um, also because I want to be able to properly understand the, the, the issues and maybe meditate and, and think, though it is supposed to rain tomorrow. So I expect uh, a lot of misery. Well, you know, I think, part. I think you brought up an interesting point about kind of the tabloid nature of journalism and then the ethics surrounding um, what could happen, like how people might react to your reporting. Um, and I mean, it's definitely a complicated topic, right? And I'm, I guess I'm trying to make sense of it. Uh, I think the hmm, I think the best way to think about it is this: like when somebody becomes a public figure, like when somebody opts to go into public life, uh, there is, I mean, they're making their living via you know being a celebrity or an influencer or whatever you, whatever have it. But what, what comes with that is increased scrutiny, increased eyes, when if at the point in time Etika was, you know, having these episodes and screaming outside of his apartment window, uh, and for him, and I mean, for no, let's just, let's remove Etika, for any celebrity to not expect you know, any kind of coverage, it would be a little, I wouldn't say bizarre, but... I'm yeah. not saying yeah. that he didn't expect it, I'm, I'm sure. saying that it might have fueled the flames more. Like, coverage was what he was after, in a way. He wanted the, the drama and the attention. It's not fair to assume what he wanted and what he didn't want. You know, he's not here to defend himself. But in a way, from his actions and how he was talking, it, it made him seem like, you know, he went on drama alert. He didn't have to go on drama alert, but, you know, right. he wanted the conversation to, to, you know, be there. But it's it's more like are you helping the situation? What, what I've really been, been focusing on in, in my writing, at least, you know, trying to is, is it, is it helping or is it hurting? Is this a way for people to understand a situation they might not understand, even if it's complicated and even if it's messy, 
or is it just trying to fuel the fires and piss people off for rage clicks? I have been trying to to move away from the latter, but well, well, I mean, when that, you cover this stuff, that asks you know? the question: like, how important do you think the reporting that you do in your YouTube space? Well, how important do you think it is? I mean, it depends on the story. Like, I I think the the Onision interview stuff. I think that's kind of important. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's you know the the same as like the dude at my site who you know breaks news in Iran. Uh, but I think to a lot of people being able to read these stories and comprehend them and, you know, see that there is at least in their eyes, a legitimate source of information, giving it credence. Like, I, I think that helps and, and it matters. I don't know if all of my stories matter, like the final fantasy seven demo release time story. I write that doesn't matter. But, you know, maybe someone who feels bad about Etika and doesn't know how to cope with the situation can see how other people are talking about it and how they're still dealing with the situation, and maybe it can make them feel better. I mean, the reason I ask like, is because there's this, there's a famous case of, um, I'm forgetting the names here, but of this photographer back in like 1993 who took a picture of, um, it's a really famous picture of, uh, there was like a war-torn country in Africa, um, and there was a lot of famine, and there's a picture of like a really malnourished baby and I think it was like a vulture in the background um, and that he took that picture and of course it won him a lot of awards and accolades and brought light to a very complicated situation in, in, in that part of the world but he ended up committing suicide because of like one you know maybe guilt for not being able to help all the people that he did see uh, during his stint there but two from like the PTSD of just seeing all all the violence and whatnot, um, and I'm not saying that you know your case is similar to this exactly, but yeah, there's I mean clearly there was value in him bringing light to this complicated situation. Uh, so I mean let's say your your articles do bring light to mental health or the toxicity of you know becoming an online celebrity and having your worth only be evaluated based on like subscribers and views or whatnot and how that need for attention can quickly spiral into you know spiral out of control yeah i mean like maybe you're reporting at the i mean it's it's not just you're reporting at the time but like kind of the story that you're going to publish soon which is going to be the amalgam of all of that like that is what is important and timely yeah i i can't argue with that i don't i don't like someone called me out yes uh, a few days ago for saying that making a joke that like i have ptsd like no i don't i i have some shitty people online who sometimes tell me to kill myself mm-hmm. like i write about complicated issues and sometimes have to deal with the angerness of people uh coming at me but like in the in the overall scheme of things like i'm not i'm not covering war torn countries i am not dealing with the, the issues I deal with are, are so much smaller and some t- seemingly, you know, less serious. But I can completely understand, you know, how that, you know, photographer was feeling. You know, you're, you're creating legitimacy off of the pain of others. Mm-hmm. And, like, when, when I approach, like, a sexual assault victim or I interview somebody with trauma, I always make it clear that I am telling their story. A malnourished baby who 
who knows what happened to it, does not have that ability, you know, to be able to voice their concerns and be able to turn it into a collaborative process. You know, I had a... So I don't... Yeah. Uh, I have a buddy who has a documentary out on Netflix right now. It's called uh, Ghosts of Sugarland. And, um, you know, I went to a screening back in Houston, and uh, an audience member asked, like, you know, you're... In this documentary, you profile this one person who ends up joining ISIS, and, you know, now you're, you know, on the Oscars short Oh, is that the one where they all wear the masks? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, it's... uh, We'll talk about it after, after the show, but, um... No, it's just that he, like, somebody asked him, like, well, you know, aren't you exploiting this person's situation, et cetera, et cetera. And here's the thing, like, he's a doc, he, he definitely disagreed with the assertion because then it presupposes that any kind of reporting is then exploitation of the subject, which, I mean, to an extent is the case, but if that's not the case, then reporting doesn't exist, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, like, you know, all, all reporting is, you know, I'm, I'm making money off of someone's trauma and pain, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a really nihilistic and, and evil sort of way of looking at the situation. But, you know, I wouldn't uh, definitely go so far as to say is that, you know, I'm capitalizing on trauma. Uh, I mean, at, at times, if I see something happening on Twitter and like, ooh, you know, someone's about to get canceled that I can write about it. But, you know, I, I don't really do that. And I, when, the, when the phase kid said the naughty word, uh, I didn't write that story up, um, to, much to the chagrin of my bosses. Oh, they wanted but, that story? <laughs> uh, they didn't know about it. I, I mean, like, if, if I had caught on to it before, because I knew about it, you know, before phase made the statement, I was, I, I, I see it, like, I'm on Twitter 24-7. Like, I, I found when people do things that they shouldn't and they start to get, you know, travel around. But I can cover it. I don't know if that's because uh, I'm bad at my job or because I just didn't want to get involved. But I definitely feel at times that uh, the reporting can feel exploitative. And I think the way around that is to, to try and turn it into a collaborative process. Mm. And you can't always do that because the people you interview are, are sometimes poo-poo heads. Well, I think I – think... When, whenever there is a story like that that comes about, you know, somebody said this or that, I, I think journalists do have to create a value judgment of, well, yeah, like how valuable is the story overall, right? I mean, of course, you know, it, it, it varies you from just... publication to publication, too, like what their value sets are. So it's, it's, it's very subjective. Of course. Yeah. Let's see. That's all it is, man. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, you had one more topic that we wanted to discuss uh, Playlist Lines. Well, I was just gonna talk about how that was that was crazy and like all the TikTokers have like taken over the world. And yeah, how I, all gonna, like, you you have to give me like I, I don't follow this at all, so you're gonna have to like fill me in really quick. I don't really know much about it to <laughs> to be honest myself. Okay. Uh, I know there was like some sort of like influencer convention in Florida. I want to mm-hmm. say uh, over the weekend, and the videos I've seen are just like absolutely insane. It's just like James Charles getting like mobbed by like a sea of twelve year old girls. And, like, all these influencers you've never heard of or know nothing about, like, dancing the renegade. And, like, it's so weird to me that I consider myself, like, fairly knowledgeable on internet culture. And, like, you know, I've, I've studied most of the social media platforms and I stay fairly up. But whenever somebody breaks in the TikTok world, I have no idea what's going on. Right. 
I am so confused and bewildered as to what is happening and like why this matters. Like I, I try to watch like a, a few TikToks like like you know every day. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I just don't find that humor, humor entertaining. Like the the same girl I was seeing before was like showing me TikToks, TikTok compilations. Like it's what she loves to watch, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is this is cool, but like, I don't get it. It's it's not for me. It doesn't keep me entertained. But um, the the same could be said about you know watching League of Legends Twitch streams from somebody who's never heard of that world. Well, no, I think there's a certain bizarreness to content creator conventions, in that like if you go to VidCon, everyone is everyone there is to like meet each other, but they're also there to make content for their own YouTube channel, right? So everyone is simultaneously like networking while also videoing themselves, like you know. Have you ever been to one of those? I've only seen videos of... Okay, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, when it comes to these these cons, like, the actual content creators are not always streaming and, like, always live. Mm. Like, I remember I went to TwitchCon 2017, and I'm sitting at a table with Soda Poppin', Greek God Axe, uh, I want to say Wreckful, but I think he was around later, and they're all just, like, hanging out. And, like, just shooting the shit. Like, no one's streaming. No one's creating content. Like, they're just, like, chilling. Like, I came to the table and was like, hey, can I interview you guys? And they're like, uh, no. And then Greek God actually talked to me. Anything for views. He was one of the guys there. Oh. Anything for views. Well, he I heard that, like, specifically VidCon was different than TwitchCon in that sense. I mean, potentially. They're, they're one of those I'd, I'd love to attend, you know, if, if anybody wants to, you know, buy a, a journalist <laughs> and have him cover VidCon, please. I am. I my body is ready and able. Is it? Is it always in um, California? I believe so. Oh, okay, so never in New York. No, 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 no. Influencer culture is all LA. Yeah. New York is is very like you know we 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 have we we had Casey, but in terms of New York oh, influencers, it's like food vloggers, um, and uh, you know, Instagram kids. Where did, where did Casey go to? He moved to LA. Ah oh, man, so it's just like MKBHD is in Jersey, and I know I know a, a couple YouTubers that that like live in Brooklyn, and Etika lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, H three lived in Bro- in Manhattan for a bit, but you know yeah. it's it's not really a place that's like. I mean, I was about to say it's not a place that's good for content, but Casey made a daily vlog. Right. Um, it's it's a different place, you know. I don't know. It's it's weird. All right. Well, I guess on that note, you want to you want to close out the show. Um, don't forget to spay and neuter your pets. Um, well, you know, bef- I... that, that's important information. But Stephen, where can listeners find you? Oh, on this podcast, and, and? I guess uh, I am Asarch on Twitter. And your writing is where? Oh, I don't I don't write. Okay. I I uh, I poke things into hieroglyphs. Uh, you can find the Etika story on Newsweek, but just just come to my Twitter feed. I need the followers. Right. I have less than Imad, and I want to have more than him. Yeah, that shouldn't be difficult because I don't have a ton to begin with. Um, and I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Actually, no, you have like fifteen oh nine. I think that's. Did I did, did I surpass you? I don't no, remember I, anymore. I like. I'm just so important. It's just like it's. 
So I'm almost there. I'm yeah. almost there. What I need 30 people to follow me on Twitter so I can be more important than a bot. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think you are more important than me. But uh, if you also want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Imad, just I-M-A-D. And uh, you can follow – my writing is – I'm a freelancer, so I'm all over the place, like the Washington Post, ESPN, New York Times, wherever. Whoever will pay me to write, I will uh, write. Hashtag humblebrag. Hayuk, hayuk, hayuk. Yeah. You know, I still have a full-time job, though, you know. It's not full-time, but like a staff position, so you, you got that over me. You don't want a staff position. Oh, dude. I'm tired of smelling farts. All right. With that, let's just close up the show. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.